Sports Radio 104.3 The Fan. Every Saturday morning, it's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Terry takes you inside the outdoors. You know, hunting, fishing, camping. It's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Now, celebrating 20 years of bringing the outdoors to Colorado radio, here's Terry Wickstrom. Good morning, and let's go right to the phones. Joining us to talk fishing and hunting, Mr. Nate Zielinski. Good morning, Nate. Good morning, Terry. How are you today? You know, it's so beautiful out, yet there's some snow up in the high mountains. The fishing is on. The hunting is on. There's so much to do. I'll tell you how befuddled I am by what to do. I even quoted you in my last column in the Denver Post. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> but in all honesty, there is a lot going on, and I think you want to talk both fishing and hunting today. Yeah, Terry, we want to talk about both. I mean, there's so much opportunity right now. Obviously, today is the first day of the uh, what we consider the second rifle season. So this is the first combined elk and deer season. There's cow tags available. This is one of the busiest big game seasons of the entire you know, year lineup. Uh, so it's opening day of that. So we want to touch base with that. We're also going to talk about some fall walleye fishing. But to start off the hunting, I think we want to touch base on last week was the the first rifle season here in Colorado and you know to be honest my phone was blowing up with some a lot of hunters either did very well or struggled a little bit that last that last week in during that full season because of the conditions we went from being fairly warm and fairly high temps to have having a lot of areas. So certain areas of the state, you know, got dumped on with anywhere between a foot and 18 inches of snow. And what kind of created the the difficulty more so than the snow is this snow fell last Sunday and it was a very moist, wet snow. Then it got extremely cold Sunday night. Some areas of the state saw temperatures as cold as, you know, negative five to negative 10 degrees. And it actually froze that snow very solid. Now an elk, when they run into a snowy situation, Generally speaking, our, our snowfall is light and fluffy, and the elk can either use their feet and kind of kick out the snow or use their nose. They can get down to grass, and they can continue to feed. This snowstorm froze so solid that it actually made it very difficult for the animals to get grass, and therefore we saw you know, what we'll call an early migration or a, a movement of these animals. And we saw a lot of elk in certain portions of our state coming out of the high country, and some of these animals were dropping two, 3,000 feet in elevation uh, to get to lower grounds. Now, a lot of people were able to adapt with this change. They saw the change. They recognized the change. They, they changed their game plan, and they created success. A lot of people stuck to their guns. You know, they stuck to the areas they've been hunting for years and years, and they hoped to, to, to try to make something of it. And a lot of those hunters really struggled. So we wanted to touch base real quick on some of the mistakes that we saw made last week and some of the mistakes that we're already seeing so far this season uh, with the big game seasons. This season's so busy for us. You know, before you get into that, I, I couldn't agree with you more. I, I, I did some checking with reports with both game managers and hunters around the state, and I found that some areas there was tremendous success because the people realized those animals were moving. Some areas that people hunted traditionally, the animals were still there, but they weren't moving much, and the hunters couldn't get around, and they had very poor success. So it was really a tale of two hunts. Exactly, Terry. 
So, I mean, the biggest thing, if you get out there and you get in those situations and the animals aren't there and the things aren't happening, you really have to make that quick move, make that adapt, get on, on the game. And, again, moving around is one of those incredible things to, to create that success. And, again, if you're not having it, you only have five days to hunt. Make the most of that change and try to, try to get on those animals. No, you're you're absolutely right, Nate. It's just that they not only, you know, even if there's animals there and the conditions have changed, and they may not be in a huntable situation, you need to get down where you can get close enough to take a good shot to those animals. Exactly. And I think on top of that, if you do have the opportunity of the situation of pushing a lot of these animals down, if you did make that change to get to where the animals are, you had far more animals than normal. And that was the biggest thing to where, you know, if your animals are spread out in the high country and the lower ground, all of a sudden you get where you get that migration. The hunters that didn't make that change had a lot more animals to hunt. The other big thing, as these animals migrated, it pushed a lot of animals together. And as you ran into maybe a bull with a harem that had, you know, 15, 20 cows, and he's comfortable with those cows, and maybe there's a couple of those cows still in heat, as these animals kind of mingled together in this migration, the bulls actually got even a little bit more excited. You heard more running activity um, because all of a sudden there's so many new animals mixed in, and these bulls were excited, checking different harems, checking different cows, checking for any remaining cows in heat. So it actually spiked up a rut activity in some areas, but not necessarily all areas. So that was kind of last week. The biggest thing we're going to talk about this week is the same type thing. If you're listening to this and you have a second rifle tag or you're going to hunt tomorrow or even throughout the week or next week, um, number one, be aware of these changes. So again, number one, as these animals are, are around, you know, as snow melts, they might start going back to some of these areas. But the biggest thing with snow on the ground or, or just visually watching, if you are not animals, make a change. I think a lot of hunters will, will stay in the same type areas and just hope that they run into one. But if in a couple of days, if you're not seeing tracks, if you're not seeing signs, if you're not physically seeing the animals, make that change. Don't wait around and give yourself five, six days hoping they show up. If they're not there now, they're probably not going to be there. So whether that's a, an elevations change or a, a change to the other side of the mountain, whatever you, you may be dealing with, um, the animals are grouped up right now. Again, the snow really pushed some things around. So if you're not into animals, make that move and get to where the animals are. Now, the other thing that we got to talk about real quick, because we touch base on it, Terry, literally every week at the show, and I don't want to be a stickler. I don't want to be the guy that's like yelling at people, but you really got to learn to make the most of your day. And when we talk about making the most of your day, it's about making a good decision to back out of the woods. So I'm actually up here right now watching elk, uh, hanging out with some buddies up here at all other elk hunting. And even though this morning was 15 degrees, it's cold. It's the exact temperature everybody wants. So 15 degrees is cold. And these animals today still went in the dark timber and still bedded down at 7.30 a.m. because that colder temperature makes these animals active all night long. So these animals are on the go, feeding, moving um, all night long. So by morning, they're ready for that break. So even though it's cold, these animals still with their safe zone to their bedding ground. You know, at that 7.30, 7.40 in the morning. So by that 8, 9 o'clock, they're bedded down and they're comfortable. And again, it's hard for hunters to do because we all want to make the most of our day. We always want to get out there and hunt. But the daytime 
I don't need your walk where guys are, are pushing timber, where guys are just hiking around all day. Um, it really creates a negative effect. And I'm not trying to tell people not to be in the woods, but if you want to spend all day in the woods, sit up on a ridge and look across into a, a valley where you can try to look into the trees or watch a meadow. So, you know, you can spend all day in the woods, but the hiking around, spreading your scent, pushing animals is not the way to, to, to make use of your midday activity. So post up on a ridge, glass a long ways off, but I literally can't tell you how many hunters I watch from afar their areas by walking around. Where literally these hunters would have just sat down Come evening, you know, that hour before dark, the animals would have fed right back out and these hunters would have had success. But they chose to push through the timber, walk around, do all these midday hikes. Um, and I literally watched animals just get pushed out of their bedding zones day after day. Um, so, again, make a good decision. If you want to spend all day, hang out in one position. But, but really think about where the animals are. Think about where they're going to come back out and let them do that naturally and really just make the most of that low light period of the day. And that's going to really be the number one thing that's going to create success for the hunters out there right now. Well, let me, I'm going to add something before we move on to fishing, because I do want to get to fishing. As I, I talk to a lot of hunters at the end of seasons too, and you know, of course there's some successful that are beaming and everything. Some are successful, but they just oh felt like they just worked too hard. And a lot are unsuccessful and they get a psychological impact. What you talked about being in the woods and moving, you're not only moving the animals, but you're wearing yourself out. You're you're becoming frustrated and tired and you get colder because you sweat. And then all of a sudden it's not as much fun as it was either. And you start questioning hunting. Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, one of those things that, you know, like Mandy and I bring our kids out on these hunts and Mandy was fortunate enough to get a great big bull last week. Uh, I mean, you can see it on our Facebook page and Instagram, but it's one of those things that same thing, you know, hunting with, with family and things like that, you learn the styles. I mean, you, I can hunt with four-year-olds because we get out, we hunt hard during that hour, hour and a half, two hours, and we go back. You know, we go have breakfast or we hang out at camp or, you know, whatever have you, go fishing. Um, and we make the most of those low-light periods. And, again, I 100%. It saves your fatigue level. It keeps you energetic. It really just keeps the hunt going. Um, but more importantly, it creates that success. So, again, I, I know guys want to be out there all day, but generally speaking, it causes far more harm uh, than it does success at the end of the day. Hey, we only got a few minutes left. What's going on on the fishing front? I've heard, well, first of all, I've heard incredible stories of great wildlife fishing, and I've heard a few guys who have struggled like any other time of the year. It's not every minute of every day isn't going to be hot, but overall, I'm hearing it's pretty good. You know, a trout bite, we have a great pike bite, but today I want to talk walleye. Walleye is the fish of the hour right now. Um, and the nice thing is we have fish in all facets of, of that, uh, that realm, we'll say. So right now as a walleye angler, we have deep fish. So we have fish that you control for. You control deep crankbaits. You control lead core. So we have fish that are living in that 15 to 25-foot deeper water, activating on those deep water shads. So that walleye bite is going very well. We also have fish up on structure that we're fishing for as blade baits, jigging wraps. You know, and those fish are in that, say, 8 to 16 feet of water, you know, on edges, on structure, and that bite's existing. We also have a low-light and night bite with jerk baits that is going very well for very large fish. We keep waiting for that night bite to start. It's been going for about a month, not really hot, and really just since that storm last Sunday, 
that night bike has, has dramatically increased, and guys are seeing some big fish. So if you want to get that once-in-a-lifetime 30-inch fish, or maybe you, you catch one every couple nights, now is the time to activate on those fish. So whether you're a troller activating those deep fish, you're that jig fisherman that wants to break apart structure, or you're a jerkbait fisherman, right now in the last five days, all those bites have started and are available to the angler out there fishing. Which bodies of water seem to be the most productive? You know, if I had to pick, I mean, all the bodies of water seem to be fishing really well. I've spent some time at Chatfield recently. I spent some time at Cherry Creek. But if I was going to pick two lakes in the state, um, I would make the commute to either Cherry Creek Reservoir or Pueblo Reservoir. Both of those are producing high numbers of fish in all these bites. The daytime trolling bite, the structure bite, as well as the nighttime jerkbait bite. Cherry Creek and Pueblo uh, are hands down probably producing most of the fish in the state right now. So uh, I would definitely try to cater to one of those two fisheries uh, while the bite is, is on fire as it is right now. No, I couldn't agree more. And I think we're going to see those fish. Don't you think we're going to see probably the trolling bites slow down a little bit? And we're going to see the other two bites become more and more prevalent? Or do you, do you don't you find I, that? I agree. I mean, it, it's hard to say. The, the trolling bite right now is better than I've seen it in the last five or six years. So generally speaking, they go through that deep water phase fairly quickly, and they get right back up on the structure or they suspend in a negative mode. Um, I haven't seen them in this deep water in the past couple of years as active as they are. So it's hard to say, but like you said, I would anticipate over the next week or so, once that water finally gets to a really cold state, I do think it's going to be more more of a jigging structure bite than anything in a jerkbait, low-light period bite. Uh, but right now, they're, they're all going, so uh, take advantage while it lasts, and if it does fade, just know you need to slide up on that structure and, and and start working those uh, reaction baits. All right, we got to get out of here, Nate, but if people want to book a trip, how do they find you? You know, the biggest thing, you can go to Facebook, you can go online, and I actually just uh, just opened up, so I have five spots available for walleye trips from now until they close it on December 1st. So uh, yeah, you want to do that, get on, the, get on the website, find my number, shoot me a text, shoot me an email, uh, we'll get you booked, but everything is available there. And we also are going live with Ice Addiction November 1st, so put that on the calendar. Big news, but uh, November 1st is the opening for ticket sales of Ice Addiction. And that's Tight Line Outdoors. My friend, we will talk to you soon. We'll talk to you soon. All right. Thank you. Nate Zielinski. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. We're going right to the phones. Joining us, a longtime friend of the show. You've also seen him many times when he was on my television show. and You can find him on YouTube right now uh, from Kirk's Fly Shop up in Estes Park. We have Kirk. Good morning, Kirk. Good morning. What a beautiful day. Yeah, it's really nice. If people aren't out, well, I hope they're listening to the show, but I hope they're on their way to do something outdoors because if you don't get outdoors this weekend, no excuse. Broncos aren't playing tomorrow. we got incredible weather. And everything I've heard from around the state is that the fly fishing across the state has been just phenomenal. Yeah, it's been good up here. Now, a couple of things I wanted to talk to you about. We got that blast of cold weather. I want to know how that affected the park, because I know you fish a lot up at uh, Rocky Mountain National Park. But then I want to talk about the Big Thompson, too, and maybe we'll hit a few other spots. But let's do the park first. What's the status up in the park right now, Kirk? It's, it's good right now. I mean, midday, the warmest part of the day is going to fish best. So from 10 to ten to 3 probably is the best time to be fishing in the park. And are you fishing mostly the lower rivers and lakes, some of the upper stuff probably even skimming a little? Right. The 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 high mountain stuff is pretty much done, but the lower stuff like uh, the Big Thompson and Moraine and uh, the St. Vrain in Wild Basin are the two main spots I would go to. 
And how long do you think? Of course, we don't know the weather, but if as long as the weather stays goes good, those will continue to fish well, I believe. Yeah, as long as you got nice days, it'll be good. Um, if it's cold and snowy out, I'd skip the park and go fish the canyon. Now, if you're fishing the park, any particular presentations you you recommend? Well, I'd, uh, you got to be a little bit more delicate because the water's low. Um, so I like a dry fly on top, like a stonefly stimmy, and mainly using that as an indicator and dropping it with a little tiny pheasant tail. Seems to work real well. You know, I want to, before we go to the river, too, when you use a fly as your indicator, and I want your opinion on this. You know, we, we talk about indicators. We talk about using yarn because it's subtle or using different type of floats. But when you use a fairly large fly as an indicator, do you think that because it looks buggy, it looks alive, you have a less chance of spooking the fish? I think so, yeah. And you always have a chance of them maybe even coming up and biting it. So Yeah, I agree with you. I agree with you on both counts of that. Let's talk about the canyon now. You know, it wasn't that many years ago that that canyon got wiped out. And the fish that were in it, that were left, got pushed way up to the top, close to where you are. And they've been doing an amazing amount of work, both on the road and on river restoration. I'm hearing reports of fish up and down the river now. Is that what you're seeing? Oh, yeah. You can catch fish anywhere in the canyon right now. Any places better than others, or is it just wherever you like to fish? Uh, It's pretty much wherever you like to fish. There's still more fish up high. Uh, but some of my favorite areas are kind of down near Drake, not as many people fishing. The fish population isn't quite as high, but the fish size is a little bigger down there. Now, are you catching mostly rainbows or some browns? Uh, the most, Mostly rainbows. Um, I'd say, say about 30% browns. Okay, and, and you said you're getting a little bigger size as you get down a little bit. Do you expect that river to just, the up and down, I mean, the upper part's been good for a long time. Do you expect it to just keep getting better and better as, with the fish as they fill in and repopulate? For sure, yes. How about the bug population? Are you seeing that come back? You know, a lot of those lower stretches got just scoured clean. Are we seeing the bug life come back? Yeah, I I feel like there's more bugs in there than there ever were. So I don't know why, but it seems like it's lots of bugs. Lots of stoneflies and lots more caddis than there ever used to be in the canyon. So if you were going to go fish the canyon, would it depend on where you fish? Or are there a few presentations that seem to be working up and down the river? Uh. Yeah, I mean, the lower canyon, it seems like you can still use a Pat's rubber leg and a little midge, like a copper ribbed RS2 behind it. Up high, more like a pheasant tail trailed with a little uh, RS2 behind it. Now, you've got a couple things I want to talk to you about yet, too. First, you have an event coming up. I know we're probably a month away or more yet, but I want to mention that so people can get ready. But then after that, I want to ask you, we're doing everybody that's a fly fisherman on the show. You can think about this for a minute or two while we're talking about um, your event. I'm asking them if they could only have five flies in their box, what they would be. And we're kind of compiling a list to see what comes up. But first of all, you have an event. It's early. It's your author's day. Do you have most people lined up? What can you tell us about it right now? Yeah, it'll be the uh, second Saturday in December. I believe it's the 8th or 9th. I think it's the 8th. And it's from 2 to 5. And uh, we'll have John Gerock there, uh, probably Stephen Schweitzer, um, John Barr to sign books. 
and hopefully we can get Terry Wickstrom there, but I don't know. He might be in Hawaii. So. Yeah, we're looking at that schedule right now, you know, and I, I, as much as I love you, Kirk, I, if I'm still in Hawaii, I'm not coming home for your event. But, I don't think so. Yeah. <laughs> but it is a great event, you know, and it, what, what, what it does is you get these authors in there and you have their books on sale, and you have sales throughout the store on this event. So any, if you have anybody in your family that's a fly fisherman, this is the time to buy some things because you, you always have some incredible deals on there. But you can get autographed, personally autographed copies of the book for the person on your list or for yourself from some of the best fly fishing authors and Steve Schweitzer. But <laughs> but Steve's a good friend. He's got great books out there. But you can, you know, and, and guys like Garrick and Barr are legends, you know, so so it's really a great time up there. Right. And then if you say that you heard us on the Terry Wickstrom show, you get 50% off any one item on that day. I know. And some people have used that to buy some really nice fly rods, haven't they? They have, yes. yes. All right. Before we run out of time, you're limited to five flies, my friend. You yeah. That's all you can have in your box. What are you going to take? I'd probably go with my favorite nymph and rig first, which would be a micro may, uh, make, tungsten beaded micro may fly, trailed by a tungsten beaded poison tongue in blue, and then a copper ribbed RS2 after that. And then my favorite two drives would probably be a chubby Chernobyl and a uh, Pearl Wolf Adams. <clears throat> Okay, what was the third nymph again? Uh, Copper-ribbed RS2. Foam-wing copper-ribbed RS2. All right. You know what I'm finding amazing so far is that um, almost nobody's picked a caddis. Everybody's picked mayflies and then maybe a a nymph that could be more multi-use. And, of course, you had one one, uh, a tractor fly on there, right? You had a pair of wolves, so... Yeah, but um, which but um, I'm finding that amazing. Are you just not reaching for caddis as much? I, I fish a caddis a lot too. That would be my sixth. <laughs> we only get five. All right. <laughs> hey, tell them how they find you, Kirk. If they want a trip, they want to come up for the sale, or do they just want to stop by the store? Yeah, we're right on Main Street, uh, right across from Town Hall, two thirty East Alcorn. Um, it's kirksflyshop.com, and our phone number is nine seven zero five seven seven zero seven nine zero. Thank you, my friend. It's always great to talk to you. I look forward to seeing you again soon. Thanks, Terry. You bet. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan, and we are going reluctantly going to the phones to talk to J.R. Pierce from Colorado Clays. Good morning. I, did I say that? Good morning, J.R. Good morning, Terry. Well, you know, I, I can't even yell at you for not calling me about going fishing because you did, and I didn't go. You know, Terry, I left the door open. Now, granted, it was just slightly cracked. It was short notice, but uh, that one's on you, buddy. Yeah, I'll take it. I mean, even though it was like less than 24 hours notice, but don't don't let that upset you at all. I mean, I know you really want to fish with me. <laughs> I think you missed an opportunity, Terry, but we've been over this before. We have. We've uh, well, the, the, the gauntlet has been thrown down, but let's talk about some fun stuff for other people. And that's it. We got this beautiful weather. Um, people need to be out shooting Well, because it, it's so much fun. And what a great time yet to do some events. Maybe bring a family out, a family reunion, a bunch of your buddies, a group. Cause in this, and you guys will cater it, take care of it, and just have a great day in this fall weather and do some shooting. Terry, and, you know, thank you for bringing that up because this is the time of year, um, yeah, whether it's fishing or shooting, but it's particularly beautiful uh, shooting at Colorado Clays now. 
And, you know, uh, let's touch on that, what you were talking about, the groups, because that's such a popular thing. Um, first, I, I want you to, everyone to know that Colorado Clays is certainly proud to be Colorado's premier public shooting facility. Um, of course, we offer the finest in rifle, pistol, and shotgun shooting opportunities uh, to the general public on a year-round basis. Um, let it be known, everything we offer can be enjoyed by an individual, a couple, or groups of just a few people up to groups of several hundred people equally as well. So our, you know, our facility literally has something for everyone, Terry. And depending on what your particular interest may be, um, we can accommodate every, everyone from, say, beginning to expert uh, class shooters, uh, say, recreational to competitive shooters, and group events ranging from friends and family, uh, bachelor, bachelorette parties, very, very popular here. Uh, we do a lot of class reunions, church and school stuff, uh, say, Boy Scout, 4-H and college shooting team events. We're doing one of those today, actually. Uh, small and large corporate and fundraiser events ranging from simple team building events or customer appreciation type things up to fundraisers for a wide variety of charitable uh, causes and great causes at that. So we can literally do a handful to hundreds of people. Now, as far as that group, the most common format, I think this is real important to go over, um, easiest thing to do, either email or call myself, Doug or Corey, right out here at Colorado Clays. Um, see if you have a date, uh, maybe a time and a number of people um, that you're wanting to do your event. Um, talk to us about, you know, group discounts. The pricing discount started, 25 people. Um, and then, uh, you know, if you know what you want to do, uh, we can make that happen. If not, uh, let, let us help you choose what would be best for your group. And, you know, I'd like people to know, don't be afraid to bring groups that have some beginners because um, we can coordinate with our on-staff instructors or even outside ones to have them work with particular people in your group to make sure everybody um, has a good, safe time and learns, you know, uh, the joy of shotgun and rifle and pistol shooting. And you have rental guns, too. We absolutely do. And, and on the options, I mean... Uh, yeah, what you might want a tent for your group. Maybe you want lunch, and we have per plate uh, pricing or outside catering available. Uh, rental guns, ammo, golf carts, even hats, T-shirts, uh, shooting accessories and such. Those are all available, um, you know, to you and your uh, group as well. And then, you know, the number one thing, Terry, really is the Colorado Clay staff because we will guide you and the group through the day and make sure that, Everyone has a real fun, safe, memorable, and unique experience. So it's really the full package. The one thing I do recommend is a little bit larger group means that one individual doesn't have to spend the whole day looking at your fishing pictures. <laughs> right. <laughs> and, you know, and the social aspect works just as well, Terry. This is one thing I've noticed over the years. When you come out with a group, we have um, our sporting clays particularly set up to where multiple people can shoot at a time, so you take the pressure off of an individual 
Um, you have a more of a social atmosphere. People are talking while others are shooting, and it makes for a real comfortable, uh, fun day. No, it really does. You know, and outdoor activities like shooting and shotgun shooting is is just it's kind of like golf in that respect that it does really promote the camaraderie and the uh, social part of things uh, more than probably even some of the other types of shooting. Another thing I want to mention before we run out of time is um, upland game seasons right around the corner. In fact, next week I'm going to be traveling on assignment. And Austin Parr is going to be here, and he's going to have Bob Hicks from Pheasants Forever in the studio. The week after that, it's going to be Ed Gorman, the biologist for the Pheasants. Then you guys are going to come. We're going to have a short show because of an Air Force game, but we're going to talk. But, boy, you got to get out and start practicing with that shotgun now and maybe some of the cooler days when we get them wearing your hunting clothes. Absolutely, Terry. And that sounds like a great lineup of guests you've got coming and if uh, if they have not prepared for upland season at a Colorado Clays uh, wobble trap, boy, that's the place to go. That uh, that trap oscillates left to right, up and down, and can simulate almost any flush you get from any type of upland bird. And being that it's uh, overlaid on our skeet field, the number of angles and distances um, there's nothing better. Um, and, of course, you know, we have everything from, say, our beginning trap. You just want to make sure your gun's hitting to start with, some regular trap, um, the skeet fields with that overlay, and then, of course, our beautiful 15-station sporting clays course. Uh, there's truly uh, something for everyone, and any presentation you want to work on, we'll have it here. And absolutely, we welcome everyone to wear those hunting clothes and get used to mounting their gun with them on. That is so important. I want to take another minute to talk about that because you and I both do some shooting. We don't do necessarily always the same types of shooting. But, you know, you need, uh, when we talk about big game hunting, Nate Zielinski and I and I harp on this all the time. Get used to moving around. Walk around your house in your hunting gear. What kind of noise do you make? What? How does it feel when you walk? And then... Take your gun out when you go to the range, when you go out to Colorado Clays, wear the, the, the garments you're going to wear because I'll guarantee you no matter how well you sight that rifle in or the, how well you shoot with that shotgun when you're wearing a T-shirt, when it comes up against that padded jacket and you're, the fit changes, your alignment's going to change. You're going to start thinking about it. You're not going to shoot as well. It is so true, Terry. And I'll tell you, before you come to Colorado Clays, there's nothing wrong with doing some gun mounting drills at the house. Practice pulling that gun out over the clothes and dropping it in. So when you get here, you can practice on the shot and not be dealing with some of the other things that come with the clothing and such. And I will say, Terry, boy, we've been sighting in so many rifles here lately. Uh, these people have been really taking it to heart, doing a great job, and I'm seeing some really good results from it. So uh, never discount how important that uh, practice and preparation is to a successful hunt. Well, one of the things, too, about practicing with your rifle sighting in at your facility is you're not limited in position. You can shoot from the bench off the bags, but you can shoot prone. You can shoot on your sticks. It just And you can it just gives you the opportunity to take very seldom does that shot happen with you sitting there on a bench-type shot. Uh, and that's so true, Terry. Uh, Always a good idea come in. We do have a lead sled. We have different types of um, rests. So we have rigid ones. We have sandbag ones, and them can simulate shooting, say, maybe off of your jacket as a rest or maybe using the crotch of a tree or a, a fence or something like that. So we have a variety of rests available. 
but absolutely come in here and uh, get the gun dialed in and then practice a few shots in the most likely uh, scenario that you're going to be taking your shot and know your limitations, uh, know, know your strengths. It's hugely important. All right. My friend, how do they find you? ColoradoClays.com or give us a call, 303-659-7117. And you and I have uh, some things to settle. We will get to that sh- as soon as we can. That sounds good, Terry. We'll have a lot of fun. Thanks, JR. All right. JR from Colorado Clays. You know what? One of the best things, I don't want to say it while he's still on the air because they're just really good people. I don't want to embarrass them, but JR, Corey, Doug, the whole staff, these are just true, wonderful outdoor people. We've been associated with them now for several years, and they're just like family to everybody. Go out to Colorado Clays, kick the tires. You don't have to shoot. You don't have to spend a nickel. Just go out there and look around. You'll be impressed. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. The Eagles, number one band in all of America. More record sales and the best music you can listen to, but I made that pretty clear over the years. Well, besides the Beatles. We'll talk later. Your job is in jeopardy now. (laughs) All right, let's go to the phones. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. We're going right to phones. And uh, joining us from the Denver Post is uh, Danica Worthington. Danica, good morning. Hi, thanks for having me. Well, thanks for coming on. You know, we've uh, I write a weekly column for the Post, and uh, I think I get a lot of comments on it. We feature it on our social media. It's usually based on something happens on this radio show. But there's a lot going on in the outdoor uh, information area of the Denver Post, and I thought we'd come on and talk a little bit. Um, you have an outdoor newsletter I want to get to, but first let's start about just uh, – uh, the no, which is what one of the things that you added, I believe, if I'm giving your title right. Mm-hmm. And that includes my column. And what else do you include in that? Yeah, so the no is an entertainment website. Then we have the no outdoors, which is kind of what I'm in charge of. And it's all about outdoor recreation. So yes, we have your column where we talk about fishing and hunting, but we also have uh, everything from climbing, hiking, camping. Now it's, you know, we're just kicking off ski season. So skiing, uh, we're going to have snowshoeing stuff coming up. So literally everything outdoors, recreation-related, we cover. Now, the um, the no, uh, Denver Post, a lot of people realize that the Denver Post, if you go online, you, it needs a subscription. But the no exists outside of that paywall, doesn't it? It does, yeah. So we say we're in front of the paywall, kind of how we describe it internally. But, yeah, so that just means you can read however much you like. It's not going to impact your number of views of articles on the Denver Post. So you can hit that paywall. Limit, you can read whatever. Yeah, and there's a lot of information. My column is there. It's featured. Now, I've, I, I, when I'm uh, ambitious, I get my column to you guys early in the week and usually put it out by Wednesday or Thursday. Sometimes I'm traveling, but there isn't a set day for my column. But we've certainly got a lot of a lot of people have commented on my columns, and we've gotten mm-hmm. a lot of feedback on social media from the columns. What are the different ways I can access the no and my column? Yeah, so one way you can do is you go to the no.denverpost.com and you can either do backslash outdoors or you can click on our outdoors uh, like site link. It's going to be on the right. And you're going to go to our homepage and you can go either to hunting and fishing, which will probably be on the homepage, or there's also if you go up to uh, under fall in our upper navigation, it'll be there. And there's going to be a lot of your stories there. It's a good way to get it. You can also subscribe to our newsletter. A lot of times we'll feature it in there. 
uh, to kind of find it. And then, as always, you can just Google in the No Terry Wickstrom, and you can find it that way too. But let's talk a little bit about before we get to the the newsletter. Let's talk mm-hmm. about to the column. Like, if there's a column I've done in recent weeks. Um, a lot of times you can just go to my Facebook page, Terry Wickstrom Outdoors, because I put a link. We put a link there. I say I like I personally do it. Right. Karen does all the work. Um, we know everybody who listens to this show knows how little of the work I do and who really does it. But um, but uh, you can go and you could scroll through my Facebook page and virtually go back months or even longer and find columns there. Um, but a lot of times there'll be a column I'll refer to here on the radio that we wrote a couple of weeks ago. Well, it's very easy to go to the Denver Post and just search my name and those columns will come up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's very quick. But now I want to talk about the newsletter, the outdoor newsletter. I wasn't even aware of this yet. You and I talked during the week. <laughs> it's something fairly new, though, isn't it? It is. Yeah, we probably started it a month or two ago. It's definitely very fresh. I went back and looked, and you did feature a lot of my columns in it. Thank you. But what's the yeah. purpose? So the newsletter is going to come out like on a Wednesday or Thursday. It comes out a Thursday because I did sign up. Yeah, it up. comes days. Yeah. And, and you're kind of getting people ready for the weekend. Is that right? Yeah, that's exactly like what we want to do with it. We kind of want people to know what the outdoors news is that they may have missed or what they kind of really need to know about. But we want to help them out. So if you're looking for something to do this weekend, you go there and it gives you an idea is the goal. Yeah, and, and there might be something from my column in there, but where do you, what are some of the other sources of the outdoor information that you people, that Post uses? Yeah, so we have our own in-house writers. Um, one good example is John Meyer. He writes a lot about skiing and running and things like that. And so he, we always have some stuff that he's written, whether it's like a short or a longer feature that will be really nice, a good in-depth thing to enjoy, or other people at the Post. We also have some other freelancers who will have con- uh, content from, and then we have partnerships with other publications around uh, the Denver and Colorado area that will might have share out some of their stories, or if there's other really good stories from around the country that are outdoors related, we'll share those ones too, just so you kind of get a broad idea about what's going on in this space. And I want to kind of tell people about my column and what it's based on, too. And what we do with my column, I was approached uh, about three years ago by the Denver Post to do a weekly piece. And uh, when I thought about it, um, I was, to tell you the truth, I'd been a magazine writer for quite many years. But those were with deadlines where I had six weeks, two months, three months Mm -hmm. out. The thought of a weekly column, I thought, how can I do that and try to keep it fresh but make it timely? Because it's going to not only be in the print version a lot of the times, but it's always going to be online. And online, people are used to timely information. So I talked it over with the people there and said, you know, we do the radio show every Saturday. And the radio show is very timely because we're live. We're talking about what's happening now and what's coming up. So I said, I'll do this, but I'm always going to base it on one of the segments or a theme of the radio show from that Saturday. So by writing it on Sunday and Monday right after the radio show, all the research has been done. I've talked to some other experts in addition to bringing my own um, background to it. And we're getting up-to-date information on either events or activities or, or issues for the outdoors. We covered things like the funding bills and things. But we're, we're discussing them openly on the air that Saturday. And then I do some additional research to make sure I back up some facts, get additional fill-in, write the column. The column goes in more depth than we probably would have time in a 10-minute interview on the air. But then we, we also link to the podcast 
every time that it was based on. And sometimes there's video or other, and I always try to bring in links from whether it's Parks and Wildlife or uh, a lodge or whatever we're talking about, so that we really cater it to not only being available in the paper, but really having that digital content and being up to date. Yes. And so I, we want. Oh, go ahead. No, go ahead. I was just going to say, yeah, we want it to be as easy as possible for the readers so they can get everything that they want. And what you're just saying there with the links and having it just right in the story so you can listen to the podcast if you happen to miss it one week. So, yeah, we really want to make it as easy as possible. And that's kind of the way um, online, whether you're a newspaper or magazine, is going, that, that digital content is becoming more and more important, isn't it? Oh, yeah, definitely. And it's obviously our print product is still very important to us. Um, and we still really care about that, but especially just with the way things are going and how people access it and they read their news um, online is definitely what we want to focus on. Well, I guess the the message we want to get out today is that there's a lot of great outdoor information available at the Denver Post, whether you read it online, in print, or get the newsletter. And tell them again how they how they can find that information. Yeah, you can go to theno.denverpost.com backslash outdoors. And you can find it there, or you can also, if you want to get the newsletter, do denverpost.com backslash, backslash newsletters, and you can sign up there. All right. Thank you so much for joining us, Danica, and going over that. I think it's important, and we want to try to bring the most up-to-date information because the whole idea is to get people outdoors and, and keep them excited and happy and make, have them you know, be able to have more fun. Definitely. Well, thank you for having me on. Thank you for joining us, and I uh, look forward to all the other. I look forward to reading the newsletter and all the other information you bring. <laughs> all right. Have a good one. Thanks. Bye. Just lots of great things. Wanted to kind of feature that and make sure you're, you're realizing that we're doing a lot of follow-up information in the Denver Post on what we do here on Saturday. Um, I do base it when I write my column, usually on something that's going on, maybe a culmination of two or three segments that had a theme to them for that show. Or it may be based on one podcast that I thought was just made for a great article. Or it may be based on an, uh, uh, something that's just a prevalent activity in the outdoors at that time frame. Or it may be based on an issue. We covered a lot about the legislature and when these funding bills were going through. We talk about some different uh, activities. We talked about the Farm Bill once and how it's affecting pheasants. And we try to get into all those different aspects. And as you know, same as on this show, I try to bring a really diverse uh, no, uh subjects to my column but you can always find my column on my facebook page at terry wickstrom outdoors on facebook if you're a follower of the show if you enjoy our activity here that's the best way to follow us first of all we're going to link to my denver post column every time it comes out as soon as it comes out we put a link on my facebook page so you'll get notified right so you can read it while it's timely Every time Karen adds a new video to our YouTube channel, we post that. If there's an exceptional interview or a tackle talker and equipment notice, she posts that on our Facebook page. If we have some upcoming guests like uh, Al Linder or Bob Clouser, we'll post that on the Facebook page so you know. Wraps it up for today. I want to thank Kyle for keeping us on the air, Karen for keeping me from making too many mistakes, and you can catch us every, every Saturday from 9 to 11 on 104.3 The Fan. Shame,